to this month's edition of Spotlight on Natural Resources. Here with me today is Peggy Doty, and Peggy is an educator with Natural Resources, Environment, and Energy. How are you doing today, Peggy? I'm great, Gavin. Thanks so much for having me. Great. Always always a pleasure to have you on here and uh, talking about an interesting topic today. Uh, <laughs> some, some might find it interesting, some may not. Um, and today's topic is about garter snakes. So, why did you want to talk about garter snakes today? Well, okay, so there's a lot more than a short podcast can cover, but uh, I tend to like to talk about things that I'm getting questions about. And so first of all, though, I want to share the name garter is G-A-R-T-E-R, garter snake, and, and point out the fact it's not gardener snake, which a lot of people tend to call them gardener. But that said, I think that that mispronounced name has actually helped this particular snake species because it name, its name gives you kind of a heads up. You might find it in your yard or garden. People seem to feel the least threatened by this species unless they're terrified of snakes. I get it. But people who are just kind of on the fence, like, I just don't want to deal with them, but I'm not going to be excited to see one. But I think it's helped having that, that mispronounced gardener snake uh, as a name because Maybe because it's common, people know it's not venomous. It's it's a garter. It's a garter snake. It's not venomous. And though they're surprised when they see one show up in their yard, they tend to let it go about its business. They're not a large snake, so they're not too terrifying if you're afraid of snakes. Um, I used to have a pair of snakes here at the Natural Resource Education Center, which is in Northern Illinois. It's our satellite U of I extension office. And I purposely named these two, two they were found in a puddle on a construction site and so they were going to get run over. So somebody brought them in and we kept them and took care of them. But I named them shovel and hoe so that they were garden tools so that it would open up a nice gentle way in the conversation to correct the name to garter snake. So I thought that'd just be a fun way versus, you know, telling people they're wrong. I don't like to do that. Um, the second reason that I kind of wanted to talk about it was, like I said, um, this is the time of year many snakes, and especially garter snakes, um, are very common. They're, they start to be more visible. Our nights are getting colder. The hard surfaces are holding heat like sidewalks and roads. So they're super warm. And the snakes are reptiles. So they're cold-blooded, which means they have to seek some other form of heat because they're not producing it themselves. And they desire um, that heat from those warm surfaces when the ground's getting cold um, and other places where they're, where they're moving around. We have outside of the Natural Resource Center here, we have these brown pavers and they absorb the heat really well. So we're actually having lots of um, another species, little brown snakes, and they're very tiny, like pencil size and smaller. And they're laying in the cracks trying to get warm. And I keep going out there to make sure they're not going to get crunched and stepped on by people walking in because you literally just don't see them before you squish them. So I just, I'm bringing the, bringing snakes up and especially the garter snakes because I'm starting to get a lot of phone calls. Yeah. And uh, is it, isn't it is it true that most garter snakes you know they they mostly eat uh you know a lot of the species of garter snakes they eat bugs normally yeah they're pretty small so they're not i mean if they can find a small toad like a small frog mm -hmm. um anything that moves that'll fit in their mouth yeah but it's mostly going to be insects they may come across a if they came across a nest with really tiny baby mice they'd munch on those um but they're not they're yeah they're going to eat slugs worms 
Uh, they're actually um, a type of water snake, but they spend most of their time on the ground. But they can swim. Their keel, their scales have keels like a canoe, which keeps them from rolling. Um, so they do have the ability to go in water. But most of the time we find them um, on land. But if they get into some a pond or something, they would eat like uh, minnows, things like that as well. Oh, perfect. That's uh, a lot of great information there. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, so how, how many species of snakes are there in Illinois and how many are venomous? Well, I checked and I was looking at, um, there's a field guide. It's the Field Guide to Amphibians and Reptiles of Illinois from the Illinois Natural History Survey. It's manual number eight. And I checked there as my main resource and they listed 38 species of snakes in Illinois and 34 of those are in the same family. They're in the Colubridae um, while there's four venomous um, in the, of course, the viper a day, viper um, uh, family. So the there's four that would be considered um, venomous and the rest are not, but some of them do get big and none of them except the common garter and potentially the, um, the plains garter doesn't go as far as the garter, but the, the common garter covers all, most of the state as far as being there, living there. They can live top to bottom. Um, but many of those other snakes are very specific to an area. And what, uh, about what size would you say that they would get normally? We, we had one that got, I would say we did have one that got up to two feet long, but they don't get big around. So they still mm -hmm. look like a small snake because they're not, they're not, their diameter is not that big. We don't really in Illinois, if you take out the venomous snakes, our snakes get long, but you don't see it. They don't get like the exotic snakes, like your boas and your um, pythons. They don't get fat around, you know, they, they just get really long right. um, and not so, not so thick. Perfect. And where, where do we find snakes this time of year? I mean, you, you mentioned on the pavers there for the heat, but uh, you know, yeah. I'm sure there's other places that we can find them there too. Yeah, they're moving. So they're going to come out of their usual tucked in spaces. They're hanging out where their food supply is, but now they're getting anxious with these cold days and they're moving and traveling through yards, across roads. Oh, it just kills me when we get a, when we get a cold rain, uh, you know, a lot of those amphibians and reptiles, frogs, toads, snakes come out onto the highways. Oh, mm -hmm. and it just, it's nothing you can do. Right. Um, right. But because they're cold-blooded, of course, they're sneaking refuge. They're seeking refuge where they can um, succumb to the cold and be safe out of harm's way and just hibernate. Some will seek places where many other snakes join them, like a deep hole or a partially buried pile of rocks. Um, they call that a hibernaculum when the, when many snakes come together. It can be different species. I have actually a pile of rocks ready, ready to dig a hole in my yard. I'm going to dig this, you know, three foot hole and I'm going to fill it with rocks and then I'm going to fill it. Well, I'm going to put some weed paper down so, the, so all the mud doesn't rush in. And then I'm going to make the rocks higher than the hole so the heat can warm those up in hopes that because I'm trying to make a natural habitat out of my backyard. So it's a miniature hibernaculum. And so I'm hoping some snakes come to eat some of those other extra things I don't want in the yard. But also a lot of people are very familiar with the Rupine Hills. I went to SIU Carbondale to school and you could go this time of year. You can't drive on the road. They close it. But many snakes are going up into the crevices. They cross and go up into the ridges and hide in the cracks and crevices in the rocks where the temperatures might be more apt to hold at the 50, 52 range because they're deep enough. 
um, and they close that. So, you know, they don't get harmed, but there are, of course, Southern Illinois has, uh, has, has in in different places of Southern Illinois, you can find the four venomous snakes down there because they like that warmer end of the state. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe locally that road is deemed as rattlesnake road. If I'm, if I'm not it, mistaken, I'm sure some people call it that. Cause yeah, the timber <laughs> rattlers, the water moccasins, the copperheads, um, who am I forgetting? Oh, the Massasauga. I didn't look to see if the Massasauga was that far down. We have had sightings up here in Northern Illinois. So I'd have, I'd have to check to see if the Massasauga was happy down there too. It's a kind of a pygmy rattlesnake. Okay. That's interesting. I haven't really heard of that one before. So I that's, tell, that's some new information. Yeah, there. I always, I always tell people it's a little rattlesnake. The thing it's, it's rattle sounds like crickets and they like wet prairies. So I always tell people the only way that, that, that rattlesnake is scary is if you say it masasaga because you have to say it's scary to sound scary right right yeah <laughs> exactly yeah and in perfect timing too because we're right around the corner for halloween right there you go there you go bats and snakes oh goody and i'm sure that there's all kinds of people out there right now and you know you're building trying to build a habitat for snakes i'm sure other people are like why on earth that. would you want to do that? I'm getting away from uh -huh. that. So. And harming, you know, people will send me a picture or bring me a picture. And I said, well, if you'd have left the head, it'd have been a lot quicker for me to identify because right. they, they think that they're that bad, but they're not, they're very helpful. And they're not trying to, you know, they can't, they can't run away. They can't go far. It's kind of an unfair fight. So. Yeah. So, I mean, well, other than people then on this next question, what is the biggest threat to snakes in general, but especially garter snakes? You know, it's the human. It's it's us. You know, we okay. it's not our fault, but we have highways that are warm and we have to drive and we don't want anybody having a car accident because a snake's coming across the road. I am that person who looks in my rearview mirror, make sure nobody's behind me and I will wait or I'll get out and move a snake off the road. Um, or a turtle or a frog. I just try not to drive at night these in the spring and fall when it's cold out and the roads are warm because I just can't stand it. But between their need for heat, putting them on those roads where the cars are often, you know, running over them, and then their life range flexibility, you know, putting them in our gardens where the where people have shovels and hoes. Um, you know, we have a, a gardener wielding a hoe, the snake doesn't have a chance. Um, and then you add predators, you know, they do are, they are part of the food chain. So hawks love to grab a snake and eat it. So it's, they just have a lot going on. And now this time of year, when they're starting to be more exposed, you know, the ground is the leaves are falling off of plants, they're moving and they're, they're more noticeable when they're moving. Um, you know, run has no meaning to a snake. <laughs> so, um, it's really just, they run into trouble between, you know, human made and us, and on top of their natural food chain, you know, participation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the, that's the interesting thing there that you said that the, you know, the snakes are more visible. Uh, but in my mind, I would think that with the leaves falling on the ground, there's more cover for them because they're right. going to be under True. that. So, so in a way True. it makes me think that they would be, they wouldn't be as visible, but you that's know, true. yes. Um, yeah. They could that, you know, take cover that in also. that leaf litter. Mm -hmm. um, so what should we do if we see us if we see a snake well you know i would ask <laughs> um that if you appreciate snakes at all or can try to um first of all if you don't want to see it close your eyes you won't see anything right <laughs> but um if you appreciate snakes just let it be and watch watch it do its thing 
Um, it still fascinates me and is probably what terrifies others is how they can move and climb with no limbs. They have no arms, no legs. They can go up stone walls, some of them, uh, you know, their, their speed. And I think that's why it frightens us. But if you're frightened, just let it be. Just walk away. It's, it's going to move on. They're only, if you have snakes in your yard, um, you have food. The minute they use up the food, so say you had a bigger species, um, a fox snake, when the mice are gone and the bigger food supply, they're going to leave. They don't, they don't set up a territory necessarily, but they have to travel where there's food um, and stay where, they, you know, they'll stay if there's food, but they'll, they'll travel. But if it helps, you know, just close your eyes. You won't see anything. And remember, animals aren't random. So if you have snakes, the food's there in your yard, let them clean it up. Maybe it's bad bugs even for the garter snake is going to help get rid of some of your slugs before they eat your plants. And then when the food runs out, um, due to their free ecological pest removal service, they'll leave. And then, you know, there's no need to stand for them to stick around. Snakes don't know you care one way or another. Um, they don't know how you feel. So if you let them be, they'll just do what they do best and move on. Yeah, uh, thank you so much, Peggy, for uh, all of the wonderful information there on on snakes for today's uh, topic there. So um, do you have any uh, additional resources for folks out there? You know, I would point back to the to Manual 8 from the Illinois Natural History Survey, which is the field guide to amphibians and reptiles of Illinois. They have a series of field guides, but I would share that every field guide I have, I have two or three more. Um, especially like tracking. I have a, like, I don't know, five reptile amphibian books. If you want to start getting interested in a, in an area of animals, I would suggest buying multiple field guides to compare them. I've yet to find one that's perfect or totally correct. Um, photos are great uh, over drawings because there's lots of color phases, even in snakes. Um, so that would be my suggestion is, is, um, and observe before you worry about the books, just look at it. They move quick. You can follow it, take some notes, you know, take a photo with your phone and then worry about what kind it is. Now, granted, if it's venomous, it's, you know, or it's sitting still, don't, don't disrupt it, but, you know, don't touch it or, or manipulate it, but they're amazing. Um, and so I would just suggest getting more than one field guide for, for your interest, especially, and, and even for reptiles and amphibians. But I do use the uh, Illinois Natural History Surveys uh, manuals a lot because they're great real photos and they've you know the research is in there awesome that is some fantastic and wonderful information there peggy thank you so much you're welcome uh, and thank you uh for talking with us about snakes today um and that really concludes this month's edition of spotlight on natural resources uh thank you for listening and have a wonderful day